all about taking your fucking hamburger like that oh, i know what a bitch <laughs> hello welcome welcome in welcome y'all welcome to the carpenter queens podcast coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the tcq video store where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day welcome in fellow queerdos i'm almost too gay to function raymond <laughs> it's so good it's so good hello everyone my lemon squares taste like ass and mm, mm, (laughs) are they delicious my name is nicholas (laughs) (laughs) welcome to episode 21 this is our last one in our pride roundup it was such a fun month i loved every episode how do you feel about pride month so far I, it's probably one of my favorites, to be honest. Um, this is kind of what we base our whole shtick on and our whole, this is what our show's about. It's about being mm-hmm. gay as shit and talking about <laughs> horror movies. And, and being high as fuck the whole time. <laughs> yeah, so I felt like this month was was perfect for us. We got to cover so many fun movies. And then, really did. in all honesty, I think the cherry on top for both of us was our pride round table. And mm-hmm. even if it might have not been everybody's cup of tea, this is our small little platform and we're gonna try and, and use it as best as we can. Oh, I absolutely agree. Our pride round table, you're right, it's not for everybody. And currently right now, it's one of our lowest listened to episodes, but I really don't mind just due to the fact that when the listeners who have taken the time to just absorb whatever we talked about on that platform have responded really well to it. I think that's mm. what I appreciate the most out of it. I didn't expect that episode to really resonate with the, even just the amount of people that we did. If we're able to affect a small portion of people, I feel like we did our job. Absolutely. And I'm happy that we did get the warm reception that we did get mm-hmm. from those who were able to connect with the stories and the topics that we we're bringing to the table. Because granted, we did touch on some heavy topics, but we did. that was what the round table was for. I'm really happy it resonated um, with some of our audience and that they reached out. So thank you everyone for listening so far. It's been a wild past couple of weeks. It's been so wild. fun. Wild. We <laughs> started with Jennifer's body. We went into the waters of the conjuring. Oops, conjuring. We went into the waters of the covenant Whoa. universe. I know, my bad. And then we had a wonderful round table. Last week, we traveled to Transylvania and did the time work. And this week, <laughs> we saved the most infamous for last the, the gayest Carpenter- for last <laughs> the carpenter queens finally finally get to explore elm street and discuss an snm tow whipping ass bearing good time <laughs> in a nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge wow <sighs> so this is our first visit to elm street and what a visit <laughs> <laughs> seriously this is probably like one of the most hated of the entire series, but it's also the gayest, which is why we had to do mm-hmm. it during Prime Month. It is text, text, text gay, like gay. <laughs> Are you a gay? Because you got to tell me if you're a gay. <laughs> is he, you know, 
<laughs> Listeners, currently, you can stream this homoerotic fever dream on HBO Max. Otherwise, you're going to have to rent or buy this one. But I honestly would suggest you... Come on. It's a Freddy movie, and I know it's the gayest, and a lot of people have emotions towards that. But you got to talk about this one, y'all. I, of course, it's part of my collection. I had to <laughs> I had to own the entire collection. Same. Even even some movies, even parts of collections that I don't enjoy, like Resurrection, I still own it, even though I don't enjoy it. Because I have to have the whole collection because I'm a fucking weirdo like that. You insane psycho freak. <laughs> well, you insane psycho freak, what are you smoking on? 420, what you smoking? Um, I'm still working on my stash currently. I wanted to save all of my cute shit for when you get here. <laughs> so all, all my yeah, all my um infused joints and pre-rolls and all the goodies that I have on deck, I'm saving for when you get here. So, so I just stoked. I know me too. So I just smoked a, a regular old bowl out of our good old skull-shaped piece it's here. So pretty. Thank I love you. the color combo. It's like red and black. That mm-hmm. sounds fun. And thank you for saving your good shit for when I arrive. At <laughs> this point in recording, I will be there in less than 48 hours. So that's really fucking cool. And I'm very bang. stoked. I'm hoping we could do some sort of like audio commentary while I'm there. But I don't know everyone if it'll be usable because I know we're going to be high as a motherfucker. Possibly even crossfaded if we go get drinks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But like, this is a vacation for both of us. Like, mm-hmm. even though like this is a labor of love, this podcast, <laughs> we both need a vacation. Um, <laughs> you have been going to school. I have been working full time aside from the podcast, and are we're fucking exhausted. I'm fucking oh, exhausted. Yeah. We're taking a full on week off. So technically we've actually pre-recorded these episodes back to back to back. So we're super fucking exhausted. <gasps> the illusion is shattered. Eh, you can cut it out if you like, but I'm just letting <laughs> the people know we're fucking dedicated. <laughs> we are putting in the work, baby. Mama, mm-hmm. mama, mama. This is baby, what I baby, do, baby. baby, baby, baby. This is what I do, baby. This is, this what, is what I, I do. do. <laughs> so fucking stupid oh god uh all i did was smoke a quick little bowl of i'm literally trying not to smoke like the last of my stash before i leave i'm trying to make this 48 hours last (laughs) as well as i can so i don't have to pick up but i'm ready i'm ready to be super crossfaded in sunny los angeles oh my god i'm gonna be treated like a quan i'm so excited speaking Mm -hmm. of quans a Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Are you? What was your first interaction with this queeny, wonderful, real, like an actual scream Quan? For real. <laughs> the screams. I hope you could get a soundbite of the screams and put them in there because wow. You know, to be honest, like I really don't remember watching this one at all. I can't remember watching this movie until like adulthood. So I don't know. I don't know if I wasn't allowed to watch it or if it just didn't come up on, or if it just didn't come up on my radar because it was such a flaw. I mean, technically it made it was Money. a big hit. It, it was a big hit, but throughout the series, it's known it's the least favorite of the entire series. So and I think that's why. Yeah, I think that's why I, it didn't come up on my radar. So I remember when I was going through the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I don't have no recollection of watching this at a younger age. I only recall watching this you when I got. <laughs> I, I only remember watching it as I got older because it has this cult status of being the gayest yeah. Freddy movie or quite possibly the gayest horror movie, to be honest. That part, Midnight Kiss could never. 
What about you? I distinctly remember when I absorbed of this course. fucking movie. Of course <laughs> you did, you fucking queer. So as I've talked about before, 80s, fl- 80s horror, my jam. That is mm-hmm. my toast, my jam. That is my bread and butter. That is where I make my, like that, that is where I'm at. All of the movies we did this this month, unknowingly were movies that shaped like who I am this dark homo queer in front of you right now were because of all of these movies and this movie in particular I remember we talk about the library we should get sponsored by the library by public libraries at this point yes 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 (laughs) please if there's some queer who works for the library like uh, either in Colorado or in LA like Please sponsor us. Actually, they're not going to sponsor us. <laughs> LA fucking public libraries don't even get money, bitch. They're not going to sponsor us. I found this one because I was trying to watch all of the Freddy series. And I was trying to watch them in order. And the first time I watched it, it it's kind of... Yes, I know it's gay, but for some reason I didn't pick it up then. I don't know if it's because I watched this when I wasn't fully out, so I wasn't like, mm-hmm. oh, ooh, gay. Yes, I thought there were a lot of hot segments, but like it didn't pop up as gay to me because the 80s were completely gay. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, it kind of, you forget about it because it is least the least like nightmare on Elm Street of the whole series this went off into a totally different like realm mainly because they didn't know what they had yet this was the first sequel and people kind of forget about it because dream warriors hello is like that is the ultimate third sequel it is what like the bar was set as with this new dream world and this movie doesn't doesn't know how to do that (laughs) no they wes and they built this great world and this great premise of this horror icon to essentially his pedestal, like what his whole horror is based on is this great dream world and how he can kill you in your dreams. That's great. But then after they had the success of part one, they made part two and then they brought like Freddy into the real world. And I'm just like, what? why would you do that? The, the whole mystique. Yeah, the whole fun of it was that you, he pulled you into the dream world and he was mm-hmm. able to do whatever he wanted there. And he was able to scare you in any which way, like, whatever scared you the most that's the entity he would take on which is great well i guess it kind of works in this one because we'll talk about it because freddy kind of plays off of in my depiction and a lot of people's other depiction this movie is about that homo in the closet who's playing with the thing that you're grappling with and freddy's playing with that so we'll, right we'll we'll, we'll, dis- we'll discuss it in our dissection today but to start our little breakdown i uh, released november 1st 1985 it has a runtime of one hour and 27 minutes taglines the first name in terror returns the man of your dreams is back. Yay! Someone, <laughs> someone is coming back to Elm Street. These are weak. They are pretty weak. They're very weak. And I have to mention the poster that these were popped up on because, like I said, the second one is very queer. The man of your dreams is like, okay. But the poster also has Jesse holding Lisa, but he's longingly looking away from her while Lisa's very much in love with him. It's, it's, a lot, but I love all the poster work. All of the poster work for the Nightmare on Elm Street series is iconic. Yes, I love, I love it. It, it gives me like Daniel Steele vibes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but moving on to the breakdown, directed by Jack Shoulder and written by David Chaskin. And oh, bitch, will we get into it about these two? Mark Patton as Jesse Walsh, our new Scream Queen. Hey. Kim Kim Myers as Lisa Weber, our new Johnny Depp. 
<laughs> Robert Rulser Rolf- as Ron Grady. Oh, someone's going to give us an angry comment about that. But <laughs> Clue Gulliger as Mr. Walsh. Hope Ling as Mrs. Walsh. Marshall Bell as Coach Schneider. Melinda Ophie as Mrs. Weber. Tom McFadden as Mr. Weber. Sydney Walsh as Carrie. And the one and only, as only he can play, Robert motherfucking England as Freddy. That part. Put a pin in it, because you know we're going to fucking talk about it. Mm-hmm. Reviews. IMDb gave this film a 5.5 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 43 out of 100. Rotten Tomatoes, Tomater meter score of 41%, and then a 33% of an audience score. Mm. Uh, uh, honestly, these are a little higher than I thought. And- right? <laughs> The 33% score, I still feel like is a little mean. I feel like it's between those. So for me, it's like in the 40s range, but it's definitely not a (laughs) 5.5. Like, I don't know. (laughs) The shade! Anyway, our box office of 29 million, and that box office blew this budget out of the water. $3 million budget, and... Geez Louise, New Line Cinema definitely took that and ran with it. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. After the ultra success of Nightmare on Elm Street in 1984, New Line Cinema needed to capitalize off of the mainstream success. So New Line bet everything on that first film, and they were barely able to remain open even after its major debut because they were just getting things along. Because at this point, New Line was still barely even a production house, correct? Yeah, the... Uh... So New Line Cinema is has been known to be called the house that Freddie built because mm-hmm. they were fairly, fairly, fairly new when um, when they produced the first Nightmare on Elm Street. And that was like their claim to fame. And that was really what they built their whole production house on. Um, so yeah, New, New Line Cinema was nothing at this point. And they had this like beacon of hope. So they had to run with it. Which is because the first movie made quite a bit of money. It was a huge Mm -hmm. hit. It was electric. So you would think that New Line would be able to like recoup all that, but shit, but they barely passed by. So all they really had was this great property that they needed to capitalize off of if they wanted to stay open. Uh, Mm -hmm. Robert Shea, producer on the first film, and New Line Cinema founder and CEO, pushed forward without Wes Craven at the helm, especially after Robert had to finance for the first film for all of this to be made. He was going to make this movie whether Wes wanted there to be a sequel or not. They had reportedly had a very tumultuous relationship that was strained from the first one. Wes did not want Nightmare on Elm Street to be a franchise. But, you know, capitalism, they moved on mm-hmm. without you, baby. Yep. Apparently he was offered the position, but did not like the script, did not like how Freddy was being utilized, and I also kind of agree, because it doesn't feel like Freddy. But, yeah. uh, uh, strike number one, maybe? Yeah, no, definitely. I see... I can see why the relationship was strained at the first movie. This was mm-hmm. their first big-budget movie, Robert Shea had put everything on the line for this movie, so I'm sure he had like a lot to say, and Wes didn't like that. Uh-huh. And then, so I I understand why Wes was like, "No, we're not making another movie. I'm not yeah. making another movie with you guys. I don't want this to be like some long-winded franchise, which it turned out to be, regardless." <laughs> but I love that Wes was like, "No, I don't like the script. I don't like what you're doing, Freddie. I'm not. I want no part of this." 
So I understand. I understand why he walked away. It just mm-hmm. sucks because this is such like the black sheep of the franchise. I want to say it really is, and I think it is yes because of the queer subtext, text, undertones, overtones, highlights, lowlights <laughs> <just> on the face. <laughs> but I think if we were to just take that context and put it down you would still not this would still be very low because it just doesn't have the same energy that the other movies have this frantic crazy nightmarish wet dream type of bullshit i don't even know like how to describe the pacing of this film it's It's, odd it's very odd it like you said, it just doesn't have the same tone as Pizzazz. the first one. Yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with Wes. I think it had a lot to do with Wes. I think it had, because he still had a part in the script. He still had a part in what was going to be shown and how he wanted it to be shown. And then, of course, having him helm at the direction. Of course, of course, he knew what we had. And what is very evident is that the studio did not fully understand why this movie was so successful. They just knew it was successful, so they pushed forward anyway, and that's why this one kind of fucks up. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the studio would move ahead with the script by David Cheskin, who at the time only worked in their 16 millimeter distribution department. David wanted to move with the possession theme, having a human be an avatar for Freddy to control. They also brought back on Jack Shoulder, who at this point had only done trailers and directed Alone in the Dark in 1982. <sighs> Strike number two and serious. three. Yeah. <laughs> like, how are we gonna take this ultra successful, like potential packed franchise? Well, I don't want to call it franchise at this point, subject matter and characters, and give it to people who have never directed before, who have never written before. I don't understand this. I'm gonna tell you what I don't do. I don't know shit, I don't get stuff, and I don't understand things. So I I do want to state, like, I'm not stating that, like, you have to have a background in order to write scripts or do direction. Because we've mm-hmm. seen things where they can, they, can, they can take it and, like, really rise to the occasion and just smack it out of the park. But mm-hmm. what I need to state is that both of these people, in the documentary, by the way, of uh, Never Sleep Again and My Nightmare on Elm Street, or no, what is it called? I think it's just called Never Sleep Again. It's like, it's basically a four hour long documentary that covers every single Nightmare on Elm Street movie in, in such great, great detail. I could yeah. not suggest it enough. Like it's, I think we both collectively like have watched it maybe 12 times. Like mm-hmm, if we combine mm-hmm. our numbers together. <laughs> <laughs> We're huge um, nerds, y'all. We're very big nerds. But Jack Shoulder also, it's kind of famous stating that like he only took this because he thought it was going to be his leap into movies. And it was. But he didn't respect this. He also didn't like the first movie. And David also thought that Freddy wasn't a good, like, protagonist. So it's like, why would you hire people who don't even respect the, like, original content? Text? Yes! Like, this just doesn't make, doesn't make sense to me. Well, like you said, capitalism, baby. Like, money hey. like money sells, bitch. And they saw that they had something that was I working. Bet they were and cheap. It was kinda... I bet mm-hmm. they were cheap. They took yep, the first yeah, script and it, they were cheap. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't mm-hmm. want to say cheap. Mm-hmm. I want to say they were affordable to hire for this production. <laughs> <laughs> Call it what it is, mama. They were cheap. Baby, we're never going to get hired in Hollywood again with this fucking podcast. <laughs> <sighs> it's funny because it's true. At the beginning, Robert Che wanted to push forward without Robert England as Freddy. Uh, 
what? Robert's agent knew Robert's potential and power behind his performance and, of course, asked for, for more money in order to star. Robert Shea, kind of being an asshole, believing he could be replaced, stated, He's just this guy in a rubber mask. What a slap in the face to your actor's performance in the movie I that know. made you fucking money. How I dare know. you? I know. Which just goes to show his character. They started production with an extra playing Freddy who did horribly. And once they realized they needed Robert to play Freddy, they quickly brought him on. But it was about a good two weeks of all of this before they decided to finally bring him on. Like, what fucking assholes? Like, that's all I have to say. I can't believe it took them two weeks to realize that you can't just put anybody in makeup, ma- in makeup and expect them to be scary. You can Especially, even hire, like, a good actor. Like, you're just like... Just an extra bitch. Well, I'm telling... Capitalism! I just I don't understand you I don't understand. in the first nightmare he's very much the central character like aside from Nancy like I, it's almost like they're both main characters quite honestly and so I was like I just don't understand why you knew he was such a big part in the movie why do you think you'd be able to replace him with anybody else for the sequel I know I absolutely agree and then I think that they finally fucking learn their lesson because as the movies go on freddy becomes far more central and you care more about freddy and it becomes <laughs> all about freddy doing some stupid shit but like, yeah. this movie is just evident that they like they took a wrong turn and then they had to recorrect it within the next movie they were lucky enough to ha- have enough money to recorrect it in the third yeah movie. uh for real moving on to casting for the role of jesse brad pitt and christian slater had auditioned for the role but mark Patton, who had gained fame from his role in come back to the five and dime jimmy dean jimmy dean which co-starred Cher, who would earn the role... God, I hate you. I, I had to. I had to! <laughs> would earn the role due to his vulnerability and innocent charm. With Kim Myers gaining the role of Lisa due to her chemistry with Mark, but also due to the fact that she looked a lot like Meryl Streep, which she, she fucking does. She looks so much like Meryl. The Meryl, which I would take as a compliment. Thank you. Yes, I would uh, yes. not mind <laughs> being compared to Meryl Streep. The Meryl. See, the Meryl share and what is the connection mama mia i'm bringing it back mama mia is connected <laughs> oh my god my theory you're welcome principal photography began in june of 1985 with a very small turnaround schedule from the last film we're talking within the full year the movie was rushed into production to capitalize off of what else money and it's evident and it's got its dirty little fingerprints all over this movie it's 100 evident in every aspect of this film of how rushed it was bus the opening scene was shot by placing a bus on a rigged tilt machine the actors would be thrusted back and forth while filming and at one point in the documentary one of the extras that had stated that she had smashed her face into one of the front seats because they weren't they weren't this this sounds like someone making a film in their backyard and they're like i have a seesaw let's like put a fucking bus on it and then just (laughs) (laughs) like this will work Special effects would be passed on from David B. Miller to Kevin Yeager, who would alter ooh, who would alter a few aspects to Freddy, a hooked nose, more pronounced cheekbones, and new red contacts to create a more witch-like presence to Freddy. And this was mainly due to the fact that the first movie was so down and dirty made that no one recorded anything about the makeup process or what it looked like without all the lights and the shadow work. So Kevin Yeager essentially had to create a new Freddy 
Yeah, you start from scratch. Yeah, the only thing I don't like is the red contacts. It just feels out of place for me. Same. I don't like, because they did the same thing in Freddy versus Jason for when they did like the up close shots of Freddy's face. He had these like weird bloodshot contacts. And I agree in both iterations of Freddy, it doesn't work. I don't know. It's odd. It does. And I want to say, and I I guess I want to say it dehumanizes him. Not that Freddy's like sympathetic and humanizing, but <laughs> you kind of like, you kind of, you enjoy, everybody enjoys Freddy. Let's face yeah. it. We only watch the series for Freddy. So it's weird when you change the, like, I don't know, the eyes, like, you know, it's very important in film and in photography and almost anything to connect to see with that. The eyes. Yeah. Putting those contacts on them was a very like disconnect. Bitch, it was a choice. It was a choice. Choices. Choices. The mechanical effects behind the infamous and wild parakeet <laughs> possession done by Dick Alban, who had done work with the Three Stooges, which I kind of would take as like a no on someone's resume. <laughs> uh, but he would attach a prosthetic bird on an invisible string tied to a pole and then just swung it around in camera at one point it swung so fast and frantically that it smacked clue gallagher straight in the eye and apparently is not very fond of that scene at all and i don't blame him it's a terrible scene it's It's awful it's so out of place and it makes no fucking sense it doesn't and i have no more comments on the matter i will but we'll get there Robert Shea would have a cameo role playing the bartender at the gay bar <laughs> with an outfit <laughs> purchased at the Pleasure Chest in West Hollywood, which I have actually gone to to buy poppers. So yay for that. You fucking pig. I'm keeping it in. <laughs> oh my God. Time and place. <laughs> uh, apparently the production designer was also queer and implemented quote unquote jokes into the set design. The board game Pro is seen in the closet. A sign on Jesse's door that states no chicks allowed is also seen. This movie is so gay. That's all I have to say about it. Like, I love it's that the this, this set, so like, set designer was like, no, 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 no. Text. It's it's text. Uh huh. The pr- the production designer was in on the joke, bitch. He, <laughs> they read the script and was like, "Oh, this shit is fucking gay." As they were like <laughs> flipping through the pages, like, "Oh, you want a gay? I'm gonna give you gay, bitch." I have a few. I have to state something about one of the melted things that Jesse wakes up next to in one of his like sweaty wake up nightmare scenes that we get mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount of. Oh my god, I know. But I'll point it out once we get there. Mark <laughs> has famously stated their disdain for the dancing, which was a complete whip-off of Risky Business starring Tom Cruise. And I prefer this over the Tom Cruise iteration, if I'm quite honest. I'm, I don't care for Tom Cruise, so I've I never seen either. Risky Business, so I'll take this over that as well. Mark Showstrom was the transformation effects coordinator on the set. The prosthetic for the piece was a full body cast and it took 11 weeks for the effects to be done. The eye transformation scene when Freddy emerges, the eye itself was played by Kevin Yeager's girlfriend at the time. She was the only one small enough to fit behind the dummy head created. The infamous possession rip apart scene. First, I also want to say that Kevin Yeager is now married to Heather Langenkamp, who mm, Nancy mm-hmm. Thomas, and I love it. I love that they're together. Cool, get it. Anyway, moving on. This scene is probably the only scene that I really enjoy out of this movie because to me, it feels the most Freddy nightmare inducing. However, mm-hmm. not all of it has 
aged well and i also see like the footprints and handprints of the alien like influence on this as well oh okay Mm -hmm. i can kind of see that i didn't even think of that yeah it's a total like chest burster scene without being Mm -hmm. a chest burster scene the infamous pull scene when Freddy appears in the real world was a source of contention amongst the cast and crew. There was fear it did not make sense, however it continued forward. It took two weeks to film with multiple pyro and complicated special effects done amongst the scene. I agree. Mm. I agree mm. that the... I, I just agree that they shouldn't have brought him into the real world. I can't wait to talk about that. I'm gonna save my, I'm gonna save my opinions for that when we get to that scene on the okay. breakdown. A massive iron foundry was used as the last set piece in the film. The set was so large, they did not have enough lights to actually light the set. Wow. <laughs> oh, God. I, I could totally see that happening. I, I feel like that's happened to me on a set before. Where we're like, <laughs> yeah, we found like this great location. And it's like we go to film there and we come, we show up with like six lights. And it's like the size of a fucking football no field. No extension outlets, nothing. <laughs> nothing to No extension cords, no generators, <laughs> no nothing. Uh, God, it, I, it, it makes sense. It all makes sense. But this last final scene also includes a robot life wax bust, which was used as Freddy's death scene. In order to melt this bust, they used hair dryers underneath it to make sure that it disintegrated. And I really like the effect. I think it's pretty fine for 1985. Yeah, I still like it. I just it. think I the love... death is stupid. <laughs> I just I'm... think the death yeah. is so stupid. Well, this whole movie's stupid, let's be honest. <laughs> Speaking of the movie, the film opened to mixed reviews, but still made a very significant amount at the box office. New Line couldn't ignore the massive success, and of course continued on to build the franchise, even with its different and homoerotic take. We would get Dream Warriors, so I'm not mad at it, and I talked about it in the last episode, that Dream Warriors, in my opinion, is a way better queer representation and Mm -hmm. film, so... We can talk about that if y'all want me to talk about that, but that ain't this movie. No. No, ma'am. Talking about this queer subtext, the text of the film is explored in Scream Queens, My Nightmare on Elm Street, a documentary centered around Mark Patton and the development and the release of the film. We highly, highly, highly suggest watching this documentary by director Roman Ciminetti and Tyler Jensen. I have nothing but really good things to say about that documentary. I think it sheds a really good light on the aftermath of this movie. It really gives Mark Patton a highlight and a platform to kind of air their grievances about the film and how they mm-hmm. were essentially left out to dry, hang, hung out to dry by everybody on this film, um, which is really shitty. It's very shitty. Which we'll kind of probably touch on more later, but it's a very well done documentary and it gives you even more insight to what really happened behind the scenes. The buffoonery and tomfoolery and Mm -hmm. the fuckery that was going around on set, because there's a a lot to break down here, but to get a good sense of the film's cult status, it's been labeled the gayest horror movie of all time and multiple online polls and articles. But the biggest takeaway from all of this and even this title that it's been given is infamously the director, writer, and a huge portion of the cast has stated they never knew of the film's undertones, overtones, highlights, queer text, lowlights, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Even though David Chaskin has gone back and forth on this stance, this back and forth has caused major distress and a loss of a possible 
very high career for Mark Patton, uh, the tension between the writer David Chaskin and Mark is one we would highly suggest viewing in that documentary. And Chaskin has admitted to the queer text until about 2010, but even then it doesn't feel like a full ownership. Mark has gone on to fully embrace that Scream Queen status and pushes the film even more into its like cultural phenomenon. But that push and pull is, it sucks because they just threw Mark under the bus when everyone started coming after this film. This came out in what, 84 we said? 85? 85. So this is definitely at the height of the like AIDS pandemic and all of that. So I guess they just didn't want to acknowledge the fact that they'd made such a queer movie during the height of this quote unquote, like, you know, panic. They really, like, quite honestly, quite bluntly, they just fucked over Mark Patton so badly. They outed him and then blamed Mm -hmm. him for all of this. And multiple times, David Chaskin has gone on to state that it was gay because of Mark. Mark Mm -hmm. made it gay. And I want to state that perhaps Mark did understand the text and brought that queerness out more forward and understood like Jesse's feelings in that movie. However, this whole movie, you cannot blame it on one person. They were not in charge of the set design. They were not in charge of direction. They were not in charge of the story. They were just an actor being strung along. And Mm -hmm. that's what's so unfortunate about all of this mess because now people really claim this movie. A lot of people really love this movie. I appreciate it for what it is. And I love the campy, really bad quality of it all. But because it is in a franchise that is so well-regarded and so revered, it's easily like the weakest in the bunch. I will rate it above Freddy's Nightmare, but I will not, it's <laughs> at the bottom of my list. <laughs> No, I agree. I agree with 100% with everything you said. You know, Mark had nothing to do with the production design and the writing of the script and everything else that was quote unquote gay in this film. Like you said, they were just an actor there doing their job and we'll get into it. We'll get into it. You go to commercial break. I always go to commercial break. We're going to commercial break. We open a bus drives down a seemingly innocent neighborhood lane until we get title card. The bus makes its usual stops with the very unusual bus driver. The bus makes its usual stops with a very unusual bus driver. Robert England making a cameo appearance as the driver. As the bus makes its continual route, we are introduced to Jesse, a meek, sad, sweaty looking teenage boy <laughs> who's dressed like Alfalfa from The Little Rascals. Ah, uh, you're greasy. <laughs> This is what reminded That's me what... of that description of meek, sad, and sweaty looking teenage boy. I'll have to go get the manager. <laughs> they spent so much money on just the oil and grease that they had Ugh. to slap all over poor Mark. Yeah, it's a really weird opening. It is. It's not even done yet. Uh, As the scene continues, only three people remain on the bus, Jesse and two girls who make fun of him. Quickly, the bus speeds ahead and goes off-roading, freaking out the passengers. The girls scream in panic as Freddy Krueger suddenly drives the bus into a desert and drives recklessly. The desert falls into a deep abyss as the bus remains tipping back and forth on a small plateau. The kids scream in fear as Freddy Krueger makes himself known and pushes the kids towards the back of the bus tipping it further. Freddy raises his hand blades and swings. Cut to Jesse's family eating breakfast as they hear a terrible scream from Jesse. That opening, like, cold open. It was weird. It's... 
I think it's only weird because it's so anticlimactic. The first movie we open with a fucking killer showcasing a Freddy and his nightmare world, his hands stretch out. And mm-hmm. we get this like crazy dark imagery. This one just kind of feels like, um, what am I thinking of? Uh, a Goosebumps episode that they turned into <laughs> like a full 90 minute episode. Yeah. Um, it's weird. It's weird to say the least. I don't know why it's weird. I think it just doesn't feel like it like it fits in with the rest of the series of these really imaginative openings i think my favorite part of the opening is the the girls not because they're little bitches and they're making fun of mark but because when they realize that you know the driver's taking off and they miss their exit like, driver you missed my stuff why do you sound like susan sarandon and rocky or <laughs> you have to stop <laughs> I'm cold in the wind. I'm just playing scared. Ha! Ha! I'm acting. I don't know. It was a weird, a weird opening. It is. It's very strange. I appreciate Robert England being in there, but every time I've ever read this on like any fun facts about it, they're like Robert England's cameo. I'm like, is there a cameo if he's already in the movie? <laughs> he's just in it, bitch. He's in the scene. <laughs> he's a little skit. <laughs> So we cut to Jesse's family eating breakfast and they hear that horrible scream from Jesse and the family just ignores it as they know he's just having a bad dream. Jesse wakes up in a tremendous amount of sweat, oiled up like he's at a Palm Springs resort. (laughs) We get our first homoerotic moment. Jesse gets out of bed and fixes his bulging underwear for a little too long until the camera cuts. That camera stays a little long on Jesse's package. I'm like, he's supposed to be a teen. I know he's probably like 20, 21 when he filmed this, but like, mm. excuse me, Miss Ma'am. But like- uh, And then some tidy whities too, isn't he? There's so many tidy whities in this movie. But like, I'm gonna put a counter. So thing one, this is our first sweaty scene. Like there's a tremendous amount. Uh, I don't like it because this, the rest of the scene is, it kind of plays out, honestly, Probably because I loved when we watched it last month. Serial Mom, it feels like a, a sitcom open. <laughs> because Jesse's dad pressures Jesse to clean his room while they eat breakfast. Jesse's weird sister finds racist finger toys in a racist-ass cereal. It's called Fu Man Cereal, and it's got a horrible depiction of a Chinese man on oh, it. Oh, yeah. Disgusting, and I hate it, and it's so 80s. But fuck her and her racist-ass cereal. The breakfast is interrupted by Lisa, who rings the doorbell. She's come to Jesse. She's come to get Jesse for school. They leave in Jesse's broken down car, the dinosaur. <laughs> it just feels like a sitcom open to me because they moved into this new home. It just doesn't feel climactic to me. I do know I hate Jesse's dad. I hate Jesse's dad, and it gets worse as the movie goes on because I, I hate the whole family to be honest. <laughs> because I hate that like. In the beginning of the movie, they're sitting at the breakfast table and he screams, and they all just kind of seem like annoyed with him. I like, oh, he had another the bad queen dream. Is or going off again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we can relate, and that's why I'm annoyed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once at school, we cut to a baseball game during gym class. Jesse and Lisa eye each other during class until Jesse is smacked in the head with a baseball for oogling over Lisa. Jesse's gym teacher, Coach Schneider, checks up on Jesse, telling him to pay attention next time. The game continues, and Jesse tags Grady out of the game. Frustrated, Grady pulls Jesse's sweats down, flashing a jockstrap, and commences. It's more like Grady is laying on top of Jesse as they wiggle back and forth, and Coach Schneider breaks them up, breaks the fight up, yelling, telling the boys, assume the position. 
And then the force to do push-ups is punishment. This is some gay ass so fucking it's dialogue. Like, so hot. When I was a teen watching this, I was like, oh, I think I might like jock straps now. Like, <laughs> this might be for me. Yeah. It's it's there. It's gay. It's queer. I just I don't understand why anybody denied that this is a gay movie. I know. I know. Assume the position, like the the baseball motifs, like the the jock thing going on. I'm like, this is like two steps away and a bottle of lube from being a porn movie. Like this is this is like some Tom of Finland shit. It is. Oh, I wouldn't mind a Tom of Finland horror movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a good idea. Write that down. Write that down. Lisa, Lisa, no, honey. <laughs> Lisa, no. Put down the phone and write that down. <laughs> Coach Schneider smokes a cigarette in his office as he watches the boys continue their punishment. Yeah. How long do you think he's going to keep us out here like this? It could be all night. The guy gets his rocks off like this. Hangs around queer S&M joints downtown. He likes pretty boys like you. Uh, uh <laughs> what? So, okay, so this is all happening while they're doing their push-ups. So everybody knows that this coach just, like, hangs around S&M and queer bars and that he's got a thing for Thank queens. Thank you! Like, there's so Thank many, you. there's so much to That's like her. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. I was like, so it's just a known fact that the queers boys, here. Be, I know there's queers in this downtown. <laughs> that he's not that there's anything wrong with a queer gym teacher. There's nothing. That's not the point here. The point is, is that the whole school knows that he worked, that he enjoys hanging out S and M joints after work, and he's into quote unquote pretty boys like you. <laughs> I have problems. Even if this is meant to, no, no, there's no like. I have so many problems with this script. But JD, Grady, and Jesse actually bond, and a relationship is formed. Even after they've showered, they discuss Jesse's new home on Elm Street, explaining that Nancy from the first film, the incident that occurred there, and that Jesse just doesn't believe Grady, and Grady telling him all of these things. It's. I don't mind the setup. I think the setup could have worked a little bit better. But we dropped Nancy, and I cared so much about Nancy. Yeah. You know, I I felt like shafted. That's why when she comes back in the third one, it's like the gagarama of the century. And then she comes back again. Heather Langkamp for the win. Later that night, Jesse tosses and turns as he cannot sleep. Unable to rest, he heads downstairs to grab a snack, only to drop a bottle of juice in the kitchen. As he begins to clean up, he notices someone outside of their home. Going to investigate, he sees a red glow coming from his basement. As he watches, he sees Freddy in the boiler room, putting an arm into the fire. Uh-huh. Jesse attempts to enter the basement, but is stopped by Freddy. And Jesse screams for his dad until Freddy interrupts, stating, Daddy can't help you now. Oh, yes, Daddy. And sexually <laughs> caresses Jesse's face with his blades. <laughs> so, as... Uh, I th- and then... <laughs> And then Jesse does this. <sighs> okay. I know we're playing on the first film. I get that. We're trying to do the whole alleyway scene again. Fine. I can live with that. Freddy's in the basement. Cool. Got it. Uh-huh. What they did in This Is Why It's So Homoerotic Without Knowing It is that they just kept Jesse as a female-centric character and then hired Mark Patton who's traditionally normally in like the female girl role scene. So when things like this are played out, people finally understand like the sexual tension that's usually played out in these films. But now it's bad because it's between two guys. Get over Uh yourself, Miss Man. (laughs) (laughs) No ma'am, Miss Pam. Because as it continues on, Freddie states, I need you, Jesse. We have special work to do. You've got the body 
and I've got the brains. And then Freddy rips his skull skin back to reveal his bleeding, exposed brain. Jesse wakens again from his dream, screaming and sweaty again, when he, his parents rush in to check up on him. Ding, too. Thank you. I will admit, this whole pulling back of the skin and sick. revealing the brain is a sick special effect. It's sick. Sick. Sick special effect. I hate you. We just um, lost like two followers because of that. <laughs> the next day at school in science class, while Grady longingly checks on Jesse, Jesse naps in class during a dissection lesson. Jesse dreams of an anaconda wrapping itself around his body until he awakens to an actual snake wrapped around his body. It turns out it's a class pet, I guess. Because the Something teacher gets all really pissed explained. off and he's like, if you wanted to play around, I'm just like, bitch, this snake crawled all over him and it's his fault. <laughs> Seriously, and everybody just reacts all fine to it, and Grady and Jesse chuckle like it was no big deal. Like there's just a, a pet snake on the loose. So to me, like there's no like heightened whatever. I'm I'm not gonna complain about the heightness of this movie because that's not why I'm here. No. <laughs> Later on, Lisa swims in her pool when Jesse calls her up. She answers her pool phone, so she's she's some rich. She's some rich, like mm-hmm. she could. Y'all have a pool phone. That's exactly what I noticed. First of all, her pool is like a mile away from the actual home, and then she picks up the this cordless phone with an antenna in 1985. Bitch, she's got money. They got mad money because they make plans to hang out, but Jesse is forced to clean his unpacked room before he leaves because his dad's an asshole. But because of this, we get our infamous cool dance this dance scene is cemented in core queer history forever i have seen this at count it three three gay clubs this is played on the tvs when i'm getting my drink (laughs) are you serious yes i've seen it i've seen it once at the eagle and then once at a Denver bar, and then I forgot the last place because I was too drunk. But I remember that it was nice. That's awesome. <laughs> Jesse has a cleaning montage where he wears glasses, half-hazardly cleans, and has quite possibly the gayest dancing in cinema history. He booty bumps, <laughs> caresses a toy until he's interrupted by Lisa who comes to visit. This song, so this dancing. First of all, it's white boy dancing. It is white boy dancing. It's total white boy dancing. It's white boy dancing. We the dancing is very... Come on, Charlie Brown! <laughs> it's so good. And then when Lisa comes in with her mom, they're just like, ah, boys will be boys. I'm like, honey, he just put on a performance for everybody in his invisible honey. story. Now. No. All those stuffed animals, bitch. That was his audience. They were tipping. She was picking the cabbage, baby. Like, don't even. Bye, Queen. <laughs> Bye, Queen. <laughs> Moving on. As Lisa puts Jesse's things away, she finds a diary. The diary appears to belong to Nancy Thompson. They read her entries discussing Glenn and her desires, as well as her interactions with Kruger. Jesse recognizes the murders that he was told by Grady earlier and the nightmare man that Nancy writes about. Again, later that night, Jesse cannot sleep. He wakens sweaty and turns his lights on, only to see his entire room melting from the heat. And this is where we get, I think, another queer instance because Look at me in the fucking face and tell me that wasn't a dildo that melted right next to his bed nightstand. I mean, I've never, I've never seen a me- said melted dildo, but I've never I can seen imagine the alleged dildo. The, uh, the- <laughs> I can, I can, I could see what y'all are seeing. I could tell, like, I, 
I see the phallicness of it all, what if you will. Takes me back even more is that Jesse's the size queen because that motherfucker is like the size <laughs> of like a fucking <laughs> forearm. I was just like, Miss, ma'am, uh huh. I've never done this before. I've never done this before. <laughs> 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 You're so fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're a pig! You're a pig, rotted pig, and you're going to hell. I think you just spent all this time defending Mark Patton. You're gonna go and read him the house down boots like that? Listen, I said Jesse was a size queen. I did not say Mark was a size queen. It's called I acting. said I felt. It's called I said acting. I felt. I said I felt. <laughs> you're so fucking stupid. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse enters the basement for answers. He heads to the boiler and checks inside its ashes, only to find Freddy's razor glove. Freddy appears to him and begs Jesse to try on the glove, begging Jesse to kill for him. I prefer my Freddy killing people on his own accord. Like, I don't like this right. possession thing. I, I don't mind the, the, the risk involved. I feel like if the risk was better calculated and better formulated and better shown than just like him popping up in dreams again, it just doesn't work for me. Yeah. It's so cheesy too. Kill for me, Jesse. Kill for me. Kill her, Jason. Kill for mommy. <laughs> for real, what is this? Friday the 13th? Mm-hmm. At school, Jesse explains to Lisa what he witnessed, even believing he could have been sleepwalking. They also talk about a party Lisa is throwing with her friend Cheryl, who's there for like two minutes. Moving on, in gym class, I know. In gym class, Jesse bonds with Grady until Coach Schneider hears their shit talking and forces them to do more push-ups. It's it's just an excuse to see guys sweat some more. Later that mm -hmm. night, while the family roasts in their home because it's too fucking hot and the dad refuses to fix anything, we get probably the worst scene and nightmare on Elm Street history. <laughs> Y'all know what we're talking about. We're talking about Kentucky Fried Parakeet. As they fry yes. in, as they fry in the heat, their parakeet their parakeet freaks out in their cage as one bird kills its companion and frantically flies around the home and attacking the family. Unable to stop it, the bird bursts and explodes into a fiery ball of feathers. They try to find any logical explanation. Was it gas? Was it bad bird seeds? They even at one point, Jesse's father blames Jesse, stating that he gave him a cherry bomb. Like, I don't get the point of the parakeet. I only knew about it in the documentary because apparently parakeets and birds are the first ones to know danger. But like, mm -hmm. it makes zero sense in the movie. There's zero payoff for this fucking parakeet. Nobody cares about birds in movies. You know? Kill a kill a fucking bird before you kill a dog. Why is Jesse a scapegoat for this family? And essentially the entire movie, it feels like like he just gets blamed and shit on the entire movie. I don't think it was on purpose, but I take it as they're not happy with Jesse being a homo, so they're just constantly be mean to Jesse because his dad is just mm -hmm. an ass whole to jesse the entire time yeah. the mom's a little bit more understanding but even then she's like no my child's crazy but like i just interpret it as like homophobia within the home and poor jesse's kind of stuck here no wonder he wants to kill people i would too i mean shit i would have taken freddy's glove and sliced and diced the dad then i'm slashing gas you ripping out of the hole and yes <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> for this movie <laughs> once again jesse cannot sleep later that night and he wanders around town in the rain and makes his way to a gay bar Don's place, a hot S&M bar. 
Underage Jesse makes his way into the bar and orders a beer until he's stopped by Coach Schneider, who quickly makes Jesse run left in the school gym. Schneider then quickly makes Jesse run to the showers while Coach heads to his office and pulls out jump ropes. Why? Because who cares? <laughs> There's, There's a lot of I things. mean, I, Jesse walks into an SNM bar, doesn't get carded. Orders a beer, doesn't get carded. It's Nobody 1985, even looks. So I, I guess I'll kind of excuse it a little bit, but he does not look 21. Even if Mark Patton was 21, I'm sure he would actually still get carded. Yeah. And and then I'll, after the coach catches him at the bar, it just automatically cuts to him doing laps in the gym. I, there's no context given whatsoever. We're just supposed to automatically take it that they made their way, like, he, they made their way back to the school. Also, I want to know what that car ride was. Like, I want to know what that car <laughs> ride felt like. Because Coach Snyder doesn't say anything. He just grabs his wrist. And then, in my opinion, he's like, you're my piggy now. But, like, it's it, like... It... <laughs> in my opinion, isn't that very gay fucking look? <laughs> I thought they were going to go, like, to behind the dumpster. Like, like here, I know a place, you know? Like, that mm, of... Make that piggy squeal. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> say, I'm fucking horrible. But like, you're right, it kind of cuts and it doesn't really do anything because it just like, it goes so fast that the pacing doesn't know where to keep still and it doesn't know where to move forward. Because from here, as Jesse showers, coach is attacked by legitimately people, basketballs and tennis balls. <laughs> like he doesn't even really- But attacked by balls. B balls, baby. Because like, he doesn't even react. He's still, even while this continues, he's chewing his fucking gum and it's so annoying. Obnoxiously, yeah. I know. The balls continually fly at his face. And as he attempts to leave, he's quickly tied up by jump ropes and led into the showers. Jesse watches as coach is strung up on the stalls, stripped quickly and towels continually slap his bare ass. Steam rises covering the screen until Freddy appears. And you can tell that this was the extra because he walks so awkward. He walks <laughs> he walks like he was just at the SM bar and we don't know what's inside him, but something is. So he's just like <laughs> And then so once Freddy appears, he slashes up the coach's back and leaves him for dead as blood spews from the shower heads. Once the steam dissipates, it's revealed that Jesse's wearing Freddy's glove and we get the infamous shot of Jesse staring at the glove and giving us a blood curdling scream. <sighs> My doctor told me I shouldn't do things where balls fly at my nose. There goes your social life. <laughs> this this is quite possibly it's one the of the gayest, gayest death I've ever seen. In the movie. Um, no, like, period. This is the gayest death I've ever seen. Period. Like, congratulations. The award goes to Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Period, sis. <laughs> yeah, I, I take this scene for face value. It is... But it is, there's nothing to dissect here and dive into. It is straight up queer horror. Yay! As the movie continues on, the people who die are people that I think that Jesse has an attraction. Homophobic. Are either homophobic or having a Jesse has an attraction to. So Freddie plays on that and kills them and like tortures Jesse. But like because mm. later on, spoiler alert, Grady dies, Coach Schneider is dead, and it's all people who have this like homo feelings and they're dead. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, Jesse ends up in a straight relationship. I don't know if that's supposed to be like showcasing Jesse's 
bi-ness because I think that Jesse's bi. I never took Jesse as like full gay, but he definitely likes a pinky or two up there. But like, <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about? Like, it, yeah. I see what's going on here, but it's done horribly. I think that the kill itself is structured bad. Balls, really. And then towel whipping, really. Like, it's just, we in the first movie, we had a girl flying up on the ceiling, being torn to bits across the fucking walls. And then gush like geysers of blood coming out of beds. And then we get this, we get towel whipping to death. I'm gay no. and I no, would probably appreciate this in another life, but this, no ma'am. I'm not here I for I appreciate it. towel whipping in my porn, not in my <laughs> horror movies. <laughs> the police arrive at Jesse's home with a naked Jesse and inform his parents he was found wandering the highway naked. Jesse's dad questions if Jesse's been taking drugs. And in response, the next day, Jesse's dad puts iron gates over every window. His mom wants him to find a psychiatrist for Jesse, but in normal cis-hetero response, Jesse's dad just believes he just needs to be beat. Get that shit beaten out of him. Snap out of it. It's, every homo can kind of relate to this so shit. It's so toxic. It's so toxic. I just hate, I hate his character. I hate his parents because they're, they're, I just don't like them. I don't like them. They're the worst. They they're really the worst, are. to say the least. Once at school, everyone discovers Schneider's body. But let's quickly move on as we cut to Jesse's half-naked, sweating and unable to sleep again. Ding! <laughs> Freddy's glove comes alive and scares Jesse as Freddy asks again for Jesse to kill for him. A wonderful, creepy little girl cameo is shown, who may be Jesse's sister, I guess, I maybe, possibly. <laughs> and she sings Freddy's lullaby. Cut. Like these dream sequences start happening so fast. Like I, I, there's nothing to keep you up with it. Like I just don't care because like I think I prefer the more homoerotic stuff instead of them like trying to do like ooh creepy Freddy stuff. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess because the the gay stuff is more fun and entertaining. <laughs> it's so campy and overt. You're right because the rest of it just kind of feels like cookie cutter. It kind of feels like, look, remember this from the first movie? Because the other yeah. movies kind of do that moving forward, but there's more of like a respect towards it. This one just kind of feels like, little girl, there she is. Good <laughs> This is from the first movie. Look, we're still watching a Freddy movie even though it's Billy Gay. Right? The next morning, Jesse confronts his dad about how they bought the house. Even his father tries to convince everyone that everything is fine. The mother just died here. Nancy went away somewhere. Everybody's dead, but it's fine. And then the toaster suddenly bursts into flames, so no one is convinced that everything is fine. Lisa takes Jesse to Freddy Krueger's old abandoned factory where he used to work in an attempt to figure something out, explaining that Freddy kidnapped 20 kids and brought them to the factory to kill them, although they find nothing to help Jesse. So that piece of information I felt like is so more interesting, and they could have told us a little bit more about Krueger, because as the movies go on, we learn more and more about Krueger mm -hmm. and all the horrible things he did. But they just drop it. Like, that's the scariest part that you just mentioned. He kidnapped 20 kids and brought him here, them here and murdered them. That, to me, is far more fascinating and far more scary and the tones of the first one. Well, this one just kind of is like, oh, isn't that scary? There's a rat. Ah! <laughs> yeah, it, it just, like, it moves along so quickly and it barely touches on Freddy, essentially. Yeah, it forgets that Freddy is the main component and the, the protagonist in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next day at lunch, Jesse pushes Lisa away and Grady and just makes a scene. It's kind of pretty much it. 
Jesse can't sleep. He's freaking out. Lisa wants to help, but he's pushing her away. Grady is just stuffing his face with a lot of food and wants to hang, oh, yeah. Yeah, and hang out with Jesse, but he just pushes everyone. And I'm just like, okay, cool. Emotions are heightened. Next beat. It's kind of like what it feels like. <laughs> Yeah. The following night at Lisa's pool party, Lisa attempts to console Jesse, which of course leads to a makeout session, which in all honesty is pretty fucking awkward. Very. Uh, while at the party, <laughs> while the party goes on, the makeout session gets steamier and hotter until Jesse's tongue transforms and freaks out Jesse. He quickly leaves and makes his way to Grady, who is sleeping shirtless. Ding! Well, I guess he's not sweaty, but he's still shirtless. It's good enough for me. Uh, he <laughs> he confesses to Shire's murder and explains his situation to Freddie. How fucking gay is this? It's he so went to gay. go make out with Lisa at the party and then freaked out. He's like, I gotta go. And he goes and runs to his shirtless friend. The line that gets me is, Something is trying to get inside my body. And you want to sleep with me? Like, it's, it's over, baby. Like, it's uh, so. This is what I mean by like. I think that Jesse's bi because I think he genuinely enjoys like hanging out with Lisa. He does like making out with Lisa, and when he feels sexual things for Lisa, he's like, "But wait, Grady." So like, it's like one of those two things, and I like it here. It's just I think the makeout session lasts too long because it's just for like some TNA kind of section. Mm-hmm. We also get like some stuff with the pool and the interactions of teenagers and I don't mind that stuff it just like I know they're setting up for a finale but the finale doesn't give you what you want finale does not pay Mm -hmm. off whatsoever but we get probably my favorite scene Uh, Jesse convinces Grady to watch him as he sleeps in classic Nightmare on Elm Street style to try and keep Jesse awake and if anything goes wild Grady can be there but of course Grady falls asleep and suddenly we get the sickest transformation finger blades form out of jesse's hands his skin rips to reveal freddy's infamous sweater jesse screams in agony as his body is ripped apart and freddy's head rips its way through jesse's stomach with grady trapped inside the room freddy stabs grady through his chest and disposes of him fairly quickly jesse looks into a mirror revealing freddy's image staring back jesse understanding that he just killed his fucking boyfriend (sighs) i love this scene Yeah, this is probably one of the only great scenes that we get in this movie. Even though, like you said, that the the effects didn't exactly age well, mm-hmm. I appreciate the um, the practical effects. I love the blades coming through his fingers, okay. and rips, through his mouth, and the skin, uh-huh. and you see a sweater underneath. There's a lot of really good, fun aspects to the scene. Mm-hmm. It's just it's not enough to save this horrible installment of the series. Because what it feels like, and I'm sure it was, was that they spent the most money on this effect, and they didn't really have enough money to do the other effects. Anything else. Yeah, <laughs> so this one really is like the star piece, and I think it should be because it's a transformation scene. And any good transformation scene, because this totally feels like an American werewolf in a nightmare. Yeah. that's what this feels like so i love this i think it's such a cool aspect i take it as like that monster in the closet is finally like wreaking its havoc on you and Mm -hmm. i love that i think it's fucking cool but i know it's not intentional it's just a really cool set piece that they put in you know yeah 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 definitely it almost feels like like i don't know about everybody else's like closeted stories or they're coming out but it almost feels like that breaking point that you reached when you're still in the closet and you get to that breaking point and it just like it has to come out of you in some way shape or form so you go out and possibly do something reckless like what's going on so you see like these underlying themes and tones are here because i feel like this transformation scene probably wouldn't have happened 
with Lisa. I think it had to happen with Grady because mm-hmm. of those feelings that they both feel for each other. Because I definitely think Grady's into Jesse. Oh yeah. It's just like I love that, and I like when horror plays with that. But this is so unintentioned and without <laughs> the like the respect behind it. That when it's shown, it's really fucking cool. But then it's dropped and. That's what I Yeah, mean. yeah, the illusion is shattered. Jesse <laughs> flees to Lisa's house and he informs her of everything while explaining the pool party literally heats up. The pool bubbles heat and everything get they look like they're getting turned like a giant jacuzzi and I kind of like it. Yeah. The grill catches fire, beers explode. Freddy locks the pool party as Jesse retransforms and Lisa quickly realizes that Jesse's fear is what strengthens Freddy, but it's far too late and he's fully transformed. Freddy attempts at killing Lisa even by her leg at one point it just uh, <laughs> freddy tries to kill her but jesse is able to take over and this doesn't stop freddy as he attacks the party killing anyone in his way casting fire spells and fireball fireball and other weird non-freddy shit in this real world and we get the probably the most infamous line from freddy too is you're all my children now which they also bring back i think in freddy versus jason a very fitting for father's thanks was just father's <gasps> oh my god <laughs> yeah, this is weird. I like the I like the effects, like when the pool's heating up and the people are in there. She's like, oh, can somebody turn down the heat the pool? Like this bitch has a heated pool. She's getting heated up in the pool because she's over there pulling some swim fan and getting some down and dirty. It was. She was doing some heavy petting in the pool. <laughs> um, I don't know. This this pool scene's it, it's whatever. It, this is like the big climax. Essentially, this is what we're building up to. And quite honestly, the buildup isn't great, and neither is the climax. So I think it's because Freddy works in the dream world because he has control of everything. When he's out in the real world, he's just a skinny, short guy with some like some toothpicks on his hands like he loses that so to see all of these kids like freaked out and scared i kind of don't believe it and then the way they die yeah. also doesn't work it feels very prom uh carry at the prom because they trample over people there's fire like this, <laughs> like uh, i just I just don't like it because when Freddy's in the real world, he loses what makes him so scary, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, this pool scene just doesn't really work for me. It doesn't either. And it doesn't get any higher from here. Like it it kind of, it it just like continuously just dips downward. Yeah, like this is the height for the ending. (laughs) Third city girl, third city. Oh my god, but Lisa's dad attempts at shooting Kruger, but Freddy leaves in a blaze of fire, and Lisa, realizing where she's where he's headed, goes to the factory. Once at the factory, she's confronted by devil dogs. <laughs> devil dogs, because that's the thing. Only only Satan could have made that. It's literally some <laughs> poor pugs with some cheap five-cent masks that they tied around their heads. It's the dog from Hocus Pocus. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and makes her way through the factory, fighting monstrous rats and and constant fakeouts placed by Freddy. Once confronted by Freddy, she realizes her love for Jesse stops Freddy. She confesses her love and kisses Freddy, giving Jesse more power over Freddy. And the factory sets ablaze as Freddy melts and combusts in a fiery explosion, releasing Jesse. You know what this kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of Scott Pilgrim. Um, When he, what does he get? Scott earned the something of. The power of love. And he, gets, yeah, and he gets the sword out mm-hmm. and he's ready to fight. That's what this reminds me of. But it's just not as cool because it's. I hate power of love movies. I really, really do. Uh, That's the power of love. love. It's just. 
What a fucking weak way to kill Freddy. We don't even get a cool dramatic like fight scene. She fights literally no. like a rat from Build-A-Bear with some slime. <laughs> and then it's, I don't like it. I don't like it. I hate power of love endings. I don't like that Freddy <laughs> kissed. And then all of a sudden he melts and Freddy emerges from the ashes. Because I don't, I don't know how to read this if this is like Freddy just like going on with a heterosexual relationship that saves him or he admits his bisexuality and that's what accepts him and saves him but like it's just I don't like it it's not good the client the no. isn't good like none of this is fine you found a cool flat finale setting but couldn't follow through I agree 100% like we said and we said it from the beginning this movie does not have a great ending I no. mean it's not a great movie period but it, really <laughs> does, it does not have a good ending whatsoever Later on, Jesse, Lisa, and Carrie are taking the bus to school. Jesse begins to notice similarities between his old nightmares and begins to panic. Lisa calms Jesse down, and Carrie states that it's all over when Freddy's hand bursts through her chest and sending the bus into a desert, ending the movie. Thank God. <laughs> I dare <laughs> ask, what is your final rating on this movie? I can appreciate all of the queerness mm -hmm. of this film. Um, obviously that's why it made it to our Pride Month list. Absolutely. It's still an awful film though. It's pretty bad. Like there's big loopholes. It's the black sheep of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. But I have to pay, like I have to give respect to Mark Patton mm -hmm. for all of his hard work that he put into this film and for all of the quite honestly, bullshit that he dealt with after the release of this film up until like present day. I'm sure he still gets shit over this Absolutely. movie. Um, so I have to give him respect for that. But that doesn't mean that this is a great movie. Out of five, considering all of the queerness and the bits that I do like, I'm gonna have to give it a two out of five. Okay. I can agree with all of those statements. I completely understand and I think the highlights for me are Mark Patton. I love Mark Patton in this movie. I want more mm. screen queens like Mark Patton. I think how, I think it gets another point for how fucking queer and gay it is. Even if they state it was unintentional, this movie is just gay, 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 mm -hmm. gay, gay. <laughs> At a share concert, wearing a butt plug, sniffing poppers. Oh my God. And just checking grinder consistently while at the concert and possibly going to rage nightclub afterwards that's how gay this movie is and that's okay we love that but i think for all of that i have to give it i'm giving it a two and a half out of five if i can jury says survey says yeah i'm gonna do it because it's my podcast so i'm giving it a two yes yes i'm giving it a 2.5 because I was raised on it. I like the aspects of this movie, but I, you're right. This is like the least favorite out of the series. Like I said, above Freddy's Nightmare, but it's immediately after Freddy's Nightmare. <laughs> and then that's it. <laughs> that's it. It is what it is, y'all. <laughs> I, I highly recommend, if you've never seen it, to at least watch it. Mm -hmm. And if you watch it, definitely watch um, the documentary afterward. I forgot what it was called. Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. Thank you. Uh, definitely watch that immediately after so you can get the real tea behind the scenes my last question for you is anything you want to say about our pride month our finishing out of it and how you felt about it before we talk about next month <laughs> i'm really happy with our pride month i feel like we picked 
some really great films that kind of maybe not highlight the queer experience, but were crucial to us mm -hmm. in our queer experience and how, where we found bits of representation mm -hmm. um, and how we grasped onto it because we have such little representation in media and film, at least back then. We have more now, but it's still not enough in my honest opinion. Especially within horror. Especially in horror. I would just like to say I'm I'm proud. I'm proud of everything that we've done on our podcast so far. And I'm proud of especially this month with not only the films that we picked, but our round table and the discussions that we brought. Like I said, I'm glad that we're able to use our platform for any little bit of good that we can. I fully agree. And the only things that I really want to say about our Pride Month was that thank you for everyone who wanted to tag along on this crazy queer mm -hmm. adventure. I have the same sentiment though about these films were important to us and they were important to our upbringing and our bits of representation that we can find and grasp at. And that's why I loved talking about every single one of these. This is probably my favorite month though. Yeah. Next, our next two months are looking fucking phenomenal. Are you ready for next yes. month? Yes. I am super ready for next month's theme. As much as I fucking hate summer, my favorite thing about summer are the summer blockbusters. A new month means a new theme. TCQ Video is getting a plethora of iconic rentals prepped for the month of July. What's summer without a big budget popcorn flick? The queens start off our summer blockbusters themed month with IT Chapter 1 from 2017. Hiya, Georgie. I'm so ready. I'm ready because we're going to make fun of this movie so much. Just <laughs> well, obviously, you can already tell we're having fun with it. Just some of the characterizations of Pennywise are great, but I don't want to touch on it just yet. We'll save it for, for our next week's episode. But save it for the I'm, I'm so excited. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for <laughs> the next two months, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. We have the next two months prepared. Um, and both months, I feel like, are solid, solid. Plans. Heavy hitters, y'all. So I hope you're ready. Grab your popcorns. Turn on the fucking AC. And just enjoy some wonderful movies with us. If you would mm -hmm. like to keep following us, follow us on our Instagram at The Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. Please like, subscribe, comment wherever you are listening to our pods. My personal account is Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. And that does it for this week's episode, guys. We hope you enjoyed. Thank you for listening. Wee, wee, wee. Enjoy Pride, everybody. Stay safe, stay queer, and we'll see you next week. Bye, 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 bye. Bye, 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 bye. bye, bye, bye.